Good evening, guys, and welcome to another Bible study here at Calvary Chapel, Birmingham. Tonight, we are, Lord willing, going to finish John chapter 8, and we're going to cover specifically verses 51 to 59 tonight. But that's before, before we get into the text, let's just have a word of prayer and ask the Lord to be with us this evening as we study his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the fact that we can gather virtually this evening to hear from you, to hear from your word, to have the spirit um, that lives within us speak to us through your word and apply these truths to our hearts so that we may indeed grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we may indeed grow in our application of these spiritual truths in our lives, that Lord, we may not just be hearers of the word, but that we may also be doers and that Lord, in doing the word, in doing the things you've called us to do, that, Lord, we might give you all the praise and the glory. Help us, Lord, in a, with our spiritual eyes tonight to see what you'd have us to see from your word. And help me, Lord, to be a faithful uh, teacher of your word this evening. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, John chapter 8, uh, verses 51 to 59 says as follows. I tell you the truth, anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. The people said, now we know you are possessed by a demon. Even Abraham and the prophets died. But you say anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus answered, if I want glory for myself, it does not count. But it is my father who will glorify me. You say he is our God. But you don't even know him. I know him. If I said otherwise, I would be as a great, a greater liar as you. But I do know him and I obey him. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. The people answered, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you have seen Abraham? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus was hidden from them and left them in the temple. Over these past seven weeks, as we have been through every time, we have seen a variety of different things in John chapter 8. We have seen Jesus' mercy towards the adulteress. We have seen Jesus' promises to bring eternal life to those who believe in him. And we have seen the, the disbelief of the Pharisees in response to Jesus' truth that he is the Messiah, that he is the chosen one of Israel, that he is fully God and fully man. The Pharisees, of course, were not interested. They were trusting in their um, physical heritage. The heritage of being descendants of Abraham to, to make them right with God, rather than having to trust in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to do that. Because all those who trust in Jesus, even this evening, are children of Abraham, true children of promise, of the promise of Abraham. You see, the Pharisees trusted in their physical heritage. They trusted in their works. They trusted in their adherence to the Mosaic law rather than trusting in Jesus Christ to be their deliverer, in Jesus Christ to be their righteousness, and in Jesus Christ to be the fulfilment 
of every promise made to Abraham and to his descendants. You see, the Pharisees, as they spoke with Jesus through John chapter 8, increasingly rejected him. And it became increasingly clear that to Jesus, these Pharisees would not believe. And indeed, the Pharisees became more and more angry, more and more resistant to what uh, he was calling them to do. But of course, as we see the Pharisees' disbelief, we see also the urgent need to believe in Jesus Christ. Because as Jesus outlines through John chapter 8, we know that we have eternal life if we believe in Jesus Christ. We know that we need to, that we are born from above, that we are given new life, eternal life in him, and that we are transferred from the earthly kingdom to the spiritual kingdom, the kingdom where Christ reigns, the kingdom where the entrance fee is paved by the precious blood of the Lamb. And it's accessed by grace through faith. You see, the Pharisees rejected Jesus' claims. They rejected Jesus' proclamations of truth. They failed to understand the vital need to be born again in order to understand and indeed see these promises that Jesus was making come true in their lives. And in John 3, 3 to 8, we see another Pharisee, Nicodemus, who some believe eventually did turn to Jesus Christ and indeed was favourable mostly to Jesus Christ's ministry here on earth, initially struggling again with the concept of being born again. John 3, 3 to 8. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to Jesus, came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach to us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? Explained Nicodemus. How can an old man get back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the spirit. <clears throat> Excuse me. As we have seen, the repeated calls to believe in Jesus, to let him free you from the bondage of sin, to let him forgive you of the sin debt that you face, fell on deaf ears. And it fell on deaf ears to the Pharisees in John chapter 8, because they ultimately wanted to believe that their spiritual paternity so their physical paternity was enough, that their being descendants of Abraham was enough. But as they resisted Jesus, their spiritual paternity, as we saw from last week, as children of the devil, came more and more into focus. And the motivations of the Pharisees ultimately came from their spiritual father was to plot and to murder the Lord Jesus Christ to stop him doing what he'd come to do which was to die on a cross for you and for me and instead to catch him up in some conspiracy to embroil him in some 
violent rage in the temple where he would be stoned by the crowd. Isn't this always the way of the devil to try and undermine what God is doing in a believer's life or in a church's ministry? To sow discord, to sow anger, to sow hatred, to sow arguments, to sow just disbelief at what God is doing and what God is revealing through his word and through his spirit in the ministry of a believer. And of course, this discussion is not just about people 2000 years ago who did or did not believe in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is fully man and fully God. He is risen again from the dead and he is sitting at the right hand of the Father this evening in heaven. His promises made to all mankind in the scriptures apply today to you and me. And indeed, because it isn't about physical heritage, but about believing in Jesus, we as Gentiles can also put our trust in Jesus Christ. We can be set free from the bondage that we have to sin. We can be cleansed of our sin debt and we can be made righteous through Christ. Because when the Lord Jesus died for us and when he rose again on the third day, our sin debt was dealt with. And when we're born again, when the Father looks at us, as born again believers in Jesus Christ, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see us. He sees Jesus' record and not our record, his perfect record and not our constant record of mess ups and failures. You see, Jesus paid it all. He paid the entire of humanity's sin debt. He took it upon himself. He died so that we may know life and so that we may indeed be born again, so that we may have a life filled with his forgiveness, his grace and his love. And of course, the question tonight, folks, is how did the Pharisees respond finally in John chapter eight to these repeated claims that Jesus gave? Well, verse 51 says, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus speaking. Anyone who obeys my teachings will never die. And of course, there's some preceding verses that we covered last week, which are the immediate context of verse 51. So verses 48 to 50, the people retorted, you Samaritan devil, didn't we say all along that you were possessed by a demon? <coughs> no, Jesus said, I have no demon in me, for I honour my father and you dishonour me. And though I have no wish to glorify myself, God is going to glorify me. He is the true judge. See, the Pharisees had no response to Jesus, did they? They'd heard his teaching. They'd heard his authoritative teaching. They'd seen his signs. They'd seen this, at least the six different witnesses from God himself, from the Godhead and from the scriptures and from prophecy. And instead of accepting, instead of being teachable, instead of uh, repenting, they thought that attack was the best form of defence. Instead of submitting to Christ, they chose to attack him. They chose to call him a Samaritan and somebody who is demon possessed, something that Christ clearly rejected through what he was teaching and showing the Pharisees. And ultimately, as 
the Lord himself, he said that his father in heaven would be the judge of his life. That no matter what the Pharisees said about his life and his ministry, the father would sit in heaven and would one day look upon his son's example, his son's life, his son's um, ministry and would say it was perfect, would say it came to do everything it had been set out to do, that it was mission accomplished for the son. And of course, that was proclaimed at the son's baptism. Matthew 3, 16, 17. After his baptism, as Jesus came out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling upon him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. You see, it doesn't matter what the Pharisees said. It doesn't matter what anybody else says about you. What matters is what Jesus says, what God says about you and whether you're obedient to him and what he has called you to do. You see, Jesus had openly and plainly taught the Pharisees the way of life. He told them that by believing in him, by believing that he was the Lamb of God, that their sin would be forgiven and that they would have new life, a life wrought by the Holy Spirit. And isn't it fascinating as you read verse 51, I'll read it again, um, for clarity, I tell you the truth, anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. That key phrase, obeys my teaching, the immediate context of verses uh, 48 to 50 show us that obedience in this context is belief. And we know this again because the Greek of obey is tereo and it's in the aorist tense and we're getting familiar now with the aorist tense. The aorist tense typically means a once and for all event, something that is never going to have to happen again. So what Jesus is really saying is anyone who obeys the teaching that I have just taught the Pharisees, that teaching that is to believe in me, you will know new life, to confess your sins to me and I will forgive you, is somebody that will never die. This is the consequence of putting your trust in Jesus Christ. You will never die. You'll never die spiritually speaking because you have eternal life. You see, you've been born from above and through the ministry and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that resides in you, you are sealed until that day of redemption. Eternal life is your present possession. It's something that you cannot lose. And it's something that Jesus said to Martha as well in John eleven twenty six. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Such is the inheritance of all saints who believe or believers who put their trust in Jesus Christ. If they have believed in him, if we have believed in him, we will never spiritually die. When we go to depart from our bodies at physical death, we will go straight into the presence of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 to 8. So we are confident, always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are confident. Yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present from the Lord. Of course, in this generation at this time and in throughout human history, Man has the universal curse of death, physical death. But for those who trust in Jesus Christ, 
this world is the worst it gets. And on at the point of physical death, we don't spiritually die. We get to be immediately with the Lord in heaven. And of course, there is one exception to that rule, and that is the generation of the rapture, which we pray and we hope will be our generation. But obviously, the Lord may tarry for, and may delay that for many more years to come. But we see what's happening around us and we think this might be the generation that sees the rapture. But we don't know that for sure. But on that generation, that generation that sees the rapture, physical death will not be something that believers will face at the point of the rapture. But instead, the Lord will catch up all the believers suddenly and without warning into the air, into the physical presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in the air and take them immediately to be in heaven with him. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning the, those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow at others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain till the coming of the Lord will be by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with those words. <coughs> Isn't that amazing to know that if you are in the generation of the rapture, you will be caught up as a believer in Jesus Christ, to be with the Lord in the air. And I'll be covering that more uh, in, in some coming teachings on Friday evenings as some devotional teachings on the rapture. But for this evening, it is sufficient to say that everybody, even believers, face physical death. But spiritual death is not something that they will ever face, that I will ever face as a believer in Jesus Christ. Because the word of God says that when we go we physically die, we will go to be spiritually with the Lord in heaven immediately. And then the ra at the rapture of the church, there will be a generation of believers who, who do not physically die, but indeed are taken up immediately to be with the Lord in heaven. And by the way, free information, that's when our resurrection bodies are given to us. And indeed, our, um, our spirits are once again um, brought back to our bodies, but this time it's with um, our resurrection bodies not our physical bodies that were on earth. Verses 52 and 53. The people said, now we know you are possessed by a demon. Even Abraham and the prophets died. But you say anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Instead of being teachable, instead of repenting, instead of seeing the need for spiritual birth, the Pharisees continued to mock. The Pharisees continued to disobey what the Lord had called them to do. And haven't we heard this response from the Pharisees before? Who are you, Jesus? Who do you claim to be? What is this that you are saying? We don't believe you. This is the same response that we've seen time and time and time again. And it's a reminder, isn't it? That often when we talk to God, often when we speak of God, often when we are challenged by God to do something in our lives, 
we ultimately come up with the same excuses time and time again. If you're an unbeliever in Jesus Christ this evening and you've stumbled across this video by God's grace, how many more times are you going to make the same excuses about why you don't believe the Bible, about why you don't think you're a sinner, about why you don't deserve God's judgment and ultimately why you don't believe in Jesus Christ? Tonight is the night, folks, to put your trust in Jesus Christ if you've not already done so. Tonight is the night to accept that you need saving. 2 Corinthians 6, 2. For God says at just the right time I heard you. On the day of salvation I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. And if you're somebody who believes in Jesus Christ this evening, but you've been putting off something that the Lord has called you to do, whether it be a ministry opportunity, whether it be um, reconciling with a brother and sister in Christ, whether it be speaking to somebody about Christ, Stop putting it off. Stop eating up the clock, burning up the clock. Repent and move towards where Christ wants you to be this evening. And isn't it amazing that the, the Pharisees were so incredulous at the concept that people who put their trust in Jesus would never die? Because they again were thinking in the physical. They weren't thinking in the spiritual. Because remember, spiritual truths are only ultimately understood and appreciated and taken in when the author of those truths the holy spirit resides in us you see it is a supernatural act of regeneration that brings about the new birth and it is through that regeneration that we're able to understand spiritual realities and of course we saw this in in john 3 didn't we as well where nicodemus was not able to understand the need to be spiritually born but instead interpreted jesus teaching as the need to re-enter the, the, the birth canal, which, of course, is something that is preposterous. We can't re-enter our mother's birth canal, but we could be spiritually born again. New life, new birth, eternal life is something that is spiritually understood and can only be understood through the illumination of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 13 to 14. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Verses 54 to 56. Jesus answered, if I want glory for myself, it doesn't count. But it is my Father who will glorify me. You say he is our God, but you don't even know him. I know him. If I said otherwise, I would be as great a liar as you. But I do know him and I obey him. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked toward my, forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. Jesus, again, reiterating the truths he's already taught in this chapter. He doubles down on the fact that he isn't seeking glory for himself, but instead he's seeking to glorify his father in heaven. And that the father would one day evaluate Christ's ministry on earth and indeed would approve that ministry. Secondly, Jesus reiterates the fact that the Pharisees claim to know God, <coughs> but they really don't know him because they don't believe in his message and they don't obey his teaching written in the Old Testament law about the coming Messiah and about the need to put their trust 
in him. And then finally, Jesus reiterates yet again, the physical heritage of Abraham states indeed that Abraham knew Christ, knew him uh, in his pre-incarnation appearances. And ultimately, Abraham anticipated Christ's arrival on earth and was glad that such a day would one day arise. You see, Jesus is mirroring, isn't he, at this point, what we need to do when we face doubt, when we face persecution as a church, when we face false teachers who mock us, when we face family believers who don't want to hear the truth that Jesus Christ is the Lord. We need to remain faithful to what he has revealed to us in his word, that same message and those same truths and that same hope that we've always had in Jesus Christ. The message that the truth and the message that Jesus Christ is our Lord, that Jesus Christ is our King and that he is our Saviour. You see, Jesus Christ never changes this evening, folks. The world may change around us. The world may fall around, fall down around us. And indeed, we're seeing many signs this, 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 this week and this year, this century, that the world is indeed falling apart. But Hebrews 13, 8 to 9 gives us a sure hope that Jesus is indeed the same. He never changes and his word never changes. Hebrews 38 and 9, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. So do not be attracted by strange or new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food, which don't help those who follow him. It's a tendency can come, can't it? To change the message, to water down the truth, to tickle ears with smooth words, people's ears with smooth words, with false teaching. When we face that resistance to the radical grace that Jesus has shown us, we need to keep on the old path. We need to remember the truths in God's word and we need to stay there. We need to abide in the word of God and abide in our creator and saviour, Jesus Christ. Because when this challenge comes, when these persecutions come, they often try to make us add in rules, to add, add boundaries, to become legalistic, to do something to earn God's grace. Because these persecutions, these difficulties tend to make us want to go back to our old master, the flesh, because it's easier there in many respects, because it's our natural response to trials and, and tribulations. Because our fallen state is all about me, 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 rather than about the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, which is what the Holy Spirit wants us to respond to or like when it comes to trials. See, Christ's message is plain and is simple and it is unchanging. 2000 years ago, Christ died on the old rugged cross for us. He was then risen again on the third day. And the church and the apostles preached that message boldly. The apostle Paul desired to share in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. And the faithful remnant of the church throughout history has preached, has preached and has sung and has worshipped their creator and sustainer who died and rose again for them. And indeed, the church has indeed preached salvation by grace alone in Christ alone for the glory of God alone throughout the centuries. Countless hymns have been written about this grace, about the cross, about the Lord's coming to this earth. 
for us. And all of this has been in the face of opposition. It has been in the face of difficulty for the church, of periods of persecution, of periods of death for the cause of Christ. You see, Christ's response to the Pharisees was to take them back to the truths that he had already shown them. So why is it that the church in this 21st century shies away, doesn't want to stay where it's been called to be when times get difficult? Why is the focus shifting away from the cross, away from the atonement, away from Christ's blood being spilt for us? Why do we not hear in churches much anymore? about the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. Because these are the truths that the early church taught, preached and lived out. There is one saving message, and that is the message that Jesus Christ has come, he died, he rose again on the third day, and he did it for you. He did it to cleanse you of your sin debt, because you deserve to be judged for your sin. But Christ took that judgment upon you. And by uh, judgment upon him and by believing in him tonight, we can be, be all born again and we can be the children of Abraham. Children of Abraham. Abraham, of course, was glad to see the day when Christ would come. And in the original, it says, actually, not he saw it and was glad. It says he saw and was glad. He saw Christ. He saw what was to come and was glad. What did Abraham see? Well, we see a brief summary of what Abraham saw in Genesis 22, 1 to 14. Let me read it to you. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for the fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. So... Uh, we will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders, while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked together on uh, walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, "Father, yes, my son." Abraham replied, "We have the fire and the wood." The boy said, "But where is the sheep for the burnt offering?" Key phrase: God will provide a sheep or a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood in it. They tied his son Isaac and laid him on top of the wood, on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught up in the thickets. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place 
uh, Yahweh or Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, the people still use the same name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. What an extraordinary account of Abraham's faith being tested by the Lord. The child of promise of Isaac, the child who uh, the promises of God to Abraham would be fulfilled through, was going to be put on an altar. And Abraham was called to kill his child on that altar, his only son. A picture we see, of course, of the father and the son at the moment when Christ was on the cross. But Genesis 22 is amazing for many reasons. Notice it's the first place in scripture where the words love, worship and lamb are found in the Bible. And if you don't believe me, go and have a look at Strong's Concordance. Those three words are not found in the Bible before Genesis 22. Secondly, we see that God had a depend uh, that Abraham had such a dependency on God that he believed God would raise his son Isaac from the dead because he knew that God's promises to him through his son Isaac were God's promises. And God's promises are never broken. So if God asked him to do something, Abraham believed that God would indeed fulfill those promises, even if it didn't make any sense to Abraham in the physical. And of course, we know that Abraham believed that God would raise his son from the dead, because in Hebrews 11, 7 to 19, 17 to 19, it says this very thing. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son whom through your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. <coughs> and then notice finally, Abraham tells Isaac, who is actually 30 years of age at this point, believe it or not, that God will provide a lamb, a lamb for a burnt offering, a lamb that is wholly acceptable to God, a lamb that is without spot or blemish, a lamb that is male and that is perfect according to Leviticus chapter one, an acceptable sacrifice. You see, Abraham met Jesus on many occasions in his pre-incarnate appearances to him throughout Genesis. But it is Genesis 22 which foreshadows and depicts most clearly what Christ came to do, what Christ came to do for us. And it was that day that made Abraham glad. It was that day that made Abraham realise truly what this was all about. And of course, Genesis 22 was the, sh the, the demonstration that God himself had to come. That God himself had to come and be a sacrifice the only sacrifice that is acceptable for the sins of the world. And then finally, verses 57 to 59. The people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you have seen Abraham? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. Isn't it interesting that when the Pharisees or the people saw Jesus, we think it's the Pharisees at this point who see Jesus, they say, you aren't even 50 years of age. It's an interesting point, isn't it? Because we know that Jesus at this point was in his 30s. So if he looked like he was in his 50s, 
we know that Jesus' ministry was full on. But it just shows you, doesn't it, the toil and the, and the, and the, and the cost of ministry, particularly Christ's ministry, which was straight up full on for three years. Um, it shows you the physical cost that can sometimes come from the intensity of ministry that comes. And it's, all, of course, a reminder to rest as well, isn't it, at times, uh, and to have balance um, as the Lord calls us to do that. But in this context, of course, Christ has claimed something profound. He has claimed that he is the I am of Exodus, that he is eternally existent, that he is eternally the one who is God. Before Abraham was even born, Jesus was eternally existent. Before Adam was created, Jesus was eternally existent. Before Moses came into Egypt and had the law given to him in Midian, Jesus was eternally existent. It was Jesus who gave the law to Abraham, sorry, to Moses in Midian. It was Jesus who came to give Abraham the promises to the Jewish people and indeed to the world through Abraham's ultimate descendant, which was, of course, Jesus Christ. The Pharisees tried to stone Jesus at this point because they understood that Jesus was claiming deity for himself, that Jesus was saying that he was God. And of course, that attempt to stone him was again the Pharisees' manifestation of a murderous intent because they wanted to thwart the plan for the lamb to go to the slaughter on the cross, which was God's plan to save the world. But don't we praise the Lord tonight, the, the fact that this was this plan of the Pharisees was thwarted? Because it was Jesus' plan to go to the cross. It was the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit's plan that Jesus would be put to death for the sins of the world. And in full obedience to the Father, Jesus went so that my sin and your sin may be forgiven this evening. Ultimately, the question as we reach the end of John chapter 8 is how do you respond to Jesus Christ? How do you respond to Christians who preach the gospel to you this evening, who remind you of the truths that we find in scripture? Do you know him? Do you know that your sins have been forgiven? Do you know that you know that you know that you're born again? And do you know that you're going to spend eternity with Christ in heaven? I've said it before and I'll say it again. This world is full of, at this point, disasters. It's full of plagues and pestilence. It is full of rumours of wars and actual wars. Tomorrow is never guaranteed. Many people in the Ukraine have unfortunately experienced this over the past few weeks. Tomorrow is never guaranteed and that's why it is critical and, and critically important that today we put our trust in Jesus Christ that today we accept his teachings we obey what he's called us to do which is to obey him to believe in him to accept him as your savior and king and to start living a life that is that is pleasing to the Lord through what he has done at the cross. You see, we can't please God by ourselves. We must come to him with nothing and say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, 
I want you, Jesus, I need you to change my heart. Jesus, I need you to forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I need you to give me the strength and the wisdom to know how to live for you. I pray tonight that if you don't know him, that you would come to him, that you would accept him as your saviour, that you would recognise your need of a saviour, your sinfulness, and come to him in simple faith. John 3, 16, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his only, his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Don't be like the Pharisees this evening. Don't turn your head away from Jesus Christ. Don't turn 180 degrees and walk away from him. Turn 180 degrees and walk toward him and then bow at his feet and worship him because he is the saviour. He is the Lord and he is the one that is worthy of our praise. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for what you've shown us. Thank you for what you've taught us from your word. And help us, Lord, now, as we go from this place, to take on board what we've heard. Father, help us to repent if we need to repent of anything that we are thinking or doing wrong at this point. Help us to live by faith in you, Lord Jesus. Help us to live by faith as we walk this life day by day, serving you. And help us, Lord, to be mindful of the fact that there is a world full of people who don't know you. And help us, Lord, to be effective witnesses in these last days of Christ and his grace towards them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great night. Take care.